Hey, y'all. Before we get into this episode of Small Doses Podcast, I want to remind you that this Friday, I'll be releasing my political comedy documentary in Amanda We Trust. I cannot be more excited about finally bringing this to y'all. I have put my heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears into this. It has come from the bottom, from my pockets, and you all supporting it is going to be super duper uh, exciting and a final just uh, pat on the back for creating art that's actually not just for the people, but about the people, right? So make sure you go to inamandawetrust.com, watch the trailer, sign up so that on the 18th on Friday, it just drops in your inbox blah, on how you can watch and support In Amanda We Trust, the political comedy documentary. Now, remember how we said we for the people? We're about to get into this episode, Side Effects of Textured Hair with Guru Dickie, Anthony Dickie, that is, of Hair Rules. And you know what? He's such a benevolent person. First of all, let me tell y'all, he actually flew to L.A. to cut my hair so that my afro would pop out for the special. So that already tells you what kind of person he is. But he said, you know what? I want to give your listeners something as a as a show of support for them and for you. So if you want to get an opportunity to get a free line of Hair Rules products and an appointment with Dickie, all you got to do is go to my Instagram and see how you can actually enter to win a free line of Hair Rules products and an appointment with the guru himself, Anthony Dickey. All right? So just go to Instagram Amanda Seals and check out the rules, and hopefully you'll be in that chair with Dickey's hands all up in your hair. All right, let's get into this episode. So funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses Podcast. You know, I have to just pat myself on the back real quick because I just feel like the episodes just keep getting better. We keep giving the people what they want, the conversations. We've been doing this podcast for five years. And now we're getting repeats, okay? We're getting folks that are coming back. Okay. And they're coming back with more conversations, with more experiences, with more knowledge and wisdom and insights. Part twos and things. Yes. Because I like to think that Small Doses basically provides bottom line understanding, Mm. but with respect to intellect. Mm -hmm. It's like you giving people the simple without making them feel basic. Yeah, and you know you talk about what you know about. You do. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Listen, talk about what you know about. Shit. So we have another repeat. Today we are joined by hairstylist, entrepreneur, Thank you. and innovator extraordinaire, Anthony Dickey of Hair Rules and hey, more. Hey. You know. What's this hand? I know. I know. All they're trying to do. Hey. Hey. Now, before you even interject, I just have to set some things up. First of all, Dickie was here back in 2020, top of 2020. He did side effects of hair. and Before it all went down. Before, before the panini, yeah. the panorama, the Panasonic. And also before there were changes in your business, in your company, etc. Dickie is a dear friend of mine in like a multitude of ways. Mm-hmm. Like not only did I get my first real haircut at Hair Rules... Because I had haircuts, but I got my first yeah. real cut of hair rules. You also taught me how to do my hair. Like how to care for my hair, how to understand my hair, like how to respect my hair, which you've done for many, many women. I'm not special in that regard. However, I also had my first and only solo art show at the Salon. That was the first one? That was the first and last one. Oh, Hey. Yes. Like I've done group shows with people, but I literally did my first and only solo art show at Hair Rules because the art was really focused on hair. And so it just made sense to do it in a salon. And you literally let me do it in your salon for no, like I didn't have to pay or anything. It was just love. You know, me and that pay thing, I don't, you don't have to charge nothing for nothing except when it's time to. So for me, Having a salon and it was for me, it was like, you know, even the branding of a salon was like, okay, what is it? It's a place for community, education, and expression. That's what a salon is. If you talk about community, then that's what it is. And so anyone that has ever asked, say, oh, can we do this at the salon? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how much are you? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> you used like, to have people like selling yeah. their, their <laughs> knit wares and, you know. Yeah. But I think that that, especially in this day and age where 
everybody is like trying to hit a lick for everything. Yeah, no, that never worked. And I've benefited from just always saying yes to everything. And that, when I say, when I mean saying yes to everything, it's it's not overworking yourself. It's just saying yes to everybody about everything because they have a hard time saying yes to themselves or believing mm. that there are openings and possibilities and opportunities. And, and opportunities are everywhere. People just don't see them or are too distracted by other things. So for me to say yes is also a commitment to my community. I mean, that's the beginning, okay? So that lets you know where we're already starting yeah. from. We're dealing with somebody who has a commitment to the community, to our community. Now, I have shown pictures and video of Dickie doing my hair before on the Instagram. <laughs> and y'all, some, some of y'all have come out your face and been like, of course you'd have a white man doing uh, your hair. Yeah, yeah. You know, at a glance, I do look like a white man, but I'm not a white man. <laughs> you can kiss my whole red <laughs> But you know what? When I wrote Hair Rules, the book, which is now it's in its 20-year anniversary. <laughs> a woman reviewed it. Remember, because there were before blogs, there were chat rooms. Yes. And that is really where the natural hair movement was founded and found itself. Because it was a place where women could go share their stories, yes. right? And this woman wrote a two-page review on my Hair Rules book. She was a Black woman that was specialized in long hair for Black women. I'm like, okay, that's a good one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and she reviewed my book under the assumption that I was a white man. I was, and I don't really care about what you, that you think of whether I'm white or black. I don't. I'm, I'm black. I'm half, I'm actually technically half white and half black, but I was raised by my black family. My mom passed when I was three and she was the last white person I knew <laughs> in my family. And that was in Oklahoma or Seattle? No, it was in Seattle. Okay. Where my family's Oklahoma from Oklahoma because my family's all from Oklahoma. Okay. I'm first I generation. Like, I, was, I was like, I was associate Oklahoma. And with only you. dawned on me a few years ago. I was like, oh, my dad, because my grandparents were sharecroppers. And in order to leave home back in the day, you either had to get married or you could follow a sibling who had gotten married. Otherwise, you had to stay and pick cotton. So my dad and uncles followed my aunt. That's the story of my family <laughs> trying to mix it up, right? I, that's the one I'm going with. My dad and uncle followed my aunt who got married to a guy in the service. And he got stationed in Bremerton, Washington. So somehow they made it to Seattle. And it only dawned on me a few years ago. I was like, my dad must have been buck wild when only he could realize that he could talk to a white woman, but he could have relations with her. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the result of that, and right? <laughs> Paul Dickey. the result of that. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. I digress. So this episode is called Side Effects of Textured Hair because of a multitude of reasons that allow us to go on the journey that you have gone on that in many ways has been informed by your involvement in this whole like textured hair movement, et cetera, the expansion beyond that. And I think there's just a lot of interest that so many Black women just have that's really grounded in the way that our identity is attached to the fact that we have textured hair, right? Like, it's not... In a way that white women can't relate. And it's fairly new to to many generations, yeah. Hmm. It's 20 years ago, the natural hair movement kind of launched, right? With, like, the neo-soul, I feel. Right, well, supermodels got replaced by celebrities. Okay. On the covers of all the major magazines that we know of, right? And now you could delve into the lives of celebrities and find out what, because they were working on, you could sell units, you know, record labels was like, we can get more PR if we if we put her on the cover. Right. And the magazines could sell more issues if they got into the personal lives of celebrities. But see, like the few supermodels, which were Tyron and Naomi mm-hmm. and, a, and a few others. I like what? Alec Weck. Who follows me and comments often oh, on right my on. Instagram. Hey, Alec. And Yeah, she's, I uh, love Alec. That you couldn't change how a celebrity came to the table looking if they were selling units like Mary J. Blige or Jill Scott or Erica mm-hmm. Badu, which Black women could see different images of themselves beyond the usual weaves or covers that donned straight hair because weaves were still very prevalent. Um, right. And really the neo-soul thing and the celebrity shift to magazines and units and selling 2.5 million subscribers a month like all the Condé Nast magazines women just started seeing different images of themselves. And so, like, you have to meet them where they are. If you see the industry changing, you change with it. And so that's where the natural hair movement kind of started, right? Before there were blogs, there were chat rooms, Long Hair Care Forum, 
and women could share stories. And so how does that connect? Like, they were sharing stories about what, though? About, how, like, girl, my hair, my natural hair is, is, is beautiful. And this is some of the things that I've been told about it. Was and this related to also, like, the distancing from perming? Yeah. Because I feel like it all happened kind of well, simultaneously. That was, yeah. To your point, we first started hearing terms like no edges and my stress spot. <laughs> you know, and then what, 80s and 90s? That's the first time those those terms were ever used for black really? women in their hair. Before that, the first Thatcher movement started in the 60s and 70s. Of course. Right, out of a fight for civil rights and the enormity of one's Afro hey. and the pride and all that. But then some might argue that through affirmative action, people of color, particularly women, could get a higher education and move into corporate America. Yes. And no black woman was going to trust a Sunday press and 60% chance of rain. <laughs> And then white people's job, <laughs> no, and all that education. She wasn't doing it. So be relaxers in the eighties became really convenient. Yeah, weaves, micro braids, things that you could put a in your cute. hair and put away, and not have to think about her at all, and go live your best life in corporate America and rise up as as, as much as they let you. But you see what I'm the natural evolution of what we were doing when there was time to do and spend. Yes. Nobody sat in between nobody's legs for 16 hours getting no damn braids. You got your hair done once a week. You got talked about if you had fuzzy, funky braids, <laughs> right? There weren't styles that lasted for yeah, three months at a time. Yeah, they weren't sustainable. They didn't last for three months at a time. And they that was were, because of the, the synthetic hair wasn't able to? No, it's just that doing hair back in the 70s and 80s, I mean, the early, early, early 80s or mm -hmm. late 70s, you had time to do, you know, you, you weren't getting your hair pressed because... Well, women couldn't even have jobs like that. Right. So I see what you're so saying. So when you got your hair pressed, you got your hair pressed for a certain occasion. Yes. Black people are the most conservative people on earth. And so you got your hair pressed for a special occasion, not because you were assimilating into a white standard of beauty. You did it for a special occasion. And nobody had heat-damaged afros back then because you wore afro when your press sweated out. And then you occasionally, again, got braids. Long, elaborate braids with beads even. Yes. And not a lot of hair added, but everybody had a beautiful, healthy hair. Right. Until that shift in corporate America. Mm, I've never heard those two things correlated, but mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense. It does make perfect sense. Think about the timing of it all. And so this now new natural hair journey that happened. Girl. Let the right. river run. Let all the <laughs> dream. <laughs> Maybe a short, tight, natural. But nobody was rocking this at that time. Right. And I mean, like Jameson, it was, like Judith Jameson had the short tight natural because she was putting on an astronaut helmet. Right. <laughs> like, I feel like the short exactly. tight natural was like, but you're right. It wasn't really a fro. It was a short tight, just long enough to say I'm feminine. Mm -hmm. That was the vibe. Yeah. So then we get into the 90s and we start to see. No, oh, we're still we're still doing perms. We're still doing perms. But Late 90s problems, is when we start seeing... Problems with no edges and hair loss. Yes. You know, it was even, you know, everybody had, somebody had a joke about somebody's edges. Mm -hmm. And that just was never a thing prior to that period. And so for me, wow. why I wrote Hair Rules was because you could just see the evolution of things and how they were changing. And I'm like, and, you know, I didn't particular, I have no interest in writing a book besides the fact that Sam Fine, one of my comrades in fashion and beauty... Kevin Aquan. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. And Kevin Mancuso, one of my hairdressers that I assisted and learned a lot from. Mm -hmm. They had all written books. And I looked through them <laughs> and I was like, okay. Particularly the hair ones. I was like, that's not completely accurate because she has a weave, so you can't really describe her hair texture, Naomi, as being medium, fine, whatever, whatever. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to write a book. Well, Dickie, what you going to write a book about? I'm just going to tell the truth. I'll tell the truth what Beauty Bibles, all the mo particularly Condé-Nast publications, which now feature Black models or women of color <laughs> on all the covers, you know, and they don't sell 2.5 million subscribers and they're all digital. Right. Had you knew who was reading your magazine, you might still be in business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, <laughs> um, and cosmetologists who were telling women crazy things about their hair. And those magazines usually call up the middle guy, which is our editorial hairstylist like myself at the time, and get quotes from them about stories that they were writing to keep up with the quota of 2.5 million subscribers a month and telling a story every 
freaking month that was different from the last one. And hairdressers, in order to get a license to do hair, there was no mention of the word kinky or curly in any textbook across the globe. We've talked about that. No, but I mean, so you look notice, at the perspective. You notice that even now, as like you were still in a situation where like white hairstylists really feel like learning how to do black hair is. You mean kind that corny of, curly cut they be talking about? <laughs> that fake haircut. I mean, it just feels like it's like an extracurricular. You know? Yeah. Learning how to do textured hair for a lot of white stylists is simply just something that you learn because you had extra time or extra Well, it's just like they like booties and lips. They're learning to do a little more natural hair now. It's changing. It's not as desolate as it was before. Everybody's learning how to do everything right now. That's a great thing about where we are. But yeah, no, but they are, before it wasn't possible culturally. It wasn't possible? It wasn't possible because nobody was seeing our culture as being anything desirable when it Mm. came. And beauty, it's like, Okay. And now we're finding that, you know, they love us. Well, they don't love us, but they love our... That's what I mean. I've read this quote and I've said it and people... And we're also very inspiring people. People attribute this quote to me, but it's not my quote. But basically, they want our rhythm, but not our blues. Yeah. Uh, Yes. That's an accurate statement. But grace has me to believe... And hope has me to believe that we inspire. Okay. I mean, we, we inspire in- theft. We in- <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. You like, know what? Because you know what? It doesn't, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, like, we inspire. Like, when you say inspire, to me, I feel like that means it inspires me to then act on my own. It inspires me to then create on my own. It inspires me to be curious. But I think, you know, a lot of times... No, I just mean from a purpose-driven life experience and that our goal here, whatever it is you're supposed to be doing, is to inspire people to do and be better. Whether you decide to or not, I don't care, but you should be (laughs) catching this, catching these vibes. Catch the vibes. Yeah. So you caught the vibe. And And if you're not, I'm not. Like you, I'm not fucking with you. Yeah, we don't have time. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The... McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I've always thought of Black media as a place where we are represented and also protected. As a place where we are uplifted and empowered. And I know that that is sometimes more shown in potential than in actuality. But on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths, we get to see it in real time. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and bliggity black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. So you caught the vibe that textured hair was not being considered. And you and I were didn't look of, at it as textured hair. I, I stopped using the term textured hair. But uh, I don't want to get there yet. But okay, how did you? Right. St- but you started using it. Yes. And you created entire. See, I've already flipped it. 
I'm already there. So it's hard for me to go back, but go ahead. Well, we have to go. I, I want to take the journey. Yes, I appreciate it. <laughs> this is what happens when you interview people that you know and love. They're like, you already know the answer to this. Why are we talking about this to these people? No, but I also learn patience from women. And so I need to learn how to shut the hell up. You know, listen. So when did you create the category mm. of textured hair? Because you didn't just come into this as a hairdresser. Yeah. You came into this as an entrepreneur because the product. Yes. And, and you were telling me this off camera earlier, but like I didn't realize that like it's really about the product for a lot of folks in the hair game. It's not about just being at the salon. Mm, yes. Is that not true? No. Okay. I misunderstood. For me, it was about all the moving components of helping women to rediscover their natural texture. Okay. And not excluding straight as a texture. Okay. And how do I do that? And also serve, not even also serve. What happened was that that was my goal, but who came out of the woodwork happened to be the women who had a hair texture that was most underserved. And so I started with her. And who was that? That was women with kinky curly textures. Which is on the scale that I feel is racist. Uh huh. <laughs> what would that be on the scale? Okay, well, you know, I've heard this argument for some time. It could be a one, but straight hair is a one. I went with the grading system from Andre Walker and whoever decided to adopt that, that loves it and likes it, as kinky being the four and subtypes of hair like A, B, or C. And so it was four for kinky, three for curly, two for wavy, and one for straight. And... You could argue whatever you, whether you think that it's why you think it's racist might be because of the order in numbers. I didn't get that far before looking at what was useful about this tool for me to help teach and show women what your hair texture is not and what it should be and could be and finding a more customized texture specific approach so you could see what you don't have, but what you can have based off of finding a regiment that was specific to your texture. So healthy hair is not some cliche that I make up. It's really about keeping your hair healthy. Well, and, and then embracing the fact that kinky or curly textures were the most versatile textures. Mm, I don't think people really feel that way. Yeah, it's the funnest thing because when you see a texture that has nothing but body, all you're are trying to do if you were to jump into the hair business and start doing straight hair in white salons was building volume. And these textures already had volume, but they just happened to be naturally drier. And then historically, they weren't thinking about us when they made products or education. So just rethink how all this is supposed to work instead of reinventing the wheel and come up with a customized approach to what one hair texture needs and what the other one does not. I will tell you this. Yes. I do feel like once I learned that this whole texture map was created by a black hairstylist, yeah. that did start me to feel a little less like, oh, this is racist. I could totally see now that you say, because I'm open to it, I'm because you're my friend, but I'm not open to a lot of bullshit. And so when you say it like that, I can totally see. So this is the other thing. What cosmetology score, what the industry produces is hairdressers, that either do one texture yes. or the other based off of their ethnicity. Facts. And I happen to fall into a unique category mm -hmm. of somebody where my grandfather said, son, my cousin, my cousins would tease me that, you know, I didn't know how to twirl these irons and this, that, and the other. I was like, yeah, but you just relaxed her hair and then you put that, that twirling <laughs> wad into a stove and like, wasn't it already straight? <laughs> And they would tease me and my grandfather would say, son, all money is green money. Go get that white money. Oh, and so Lord. I worked in white salons because that's where the money was. It was not, I mean, it made more sense, right? Because I wanted it, to get paid. But it allowed you to become versatile. Yeah. And then from my family and learning my hair texture and their hair texture and watching some of the things that they did, it was like, oh, what you do to, has nothing to do with, oh, okay. And so it was just those aha moments. And, you know, open your eyes to the whatever industry you're in to see how it runs and works before saying, I want to do that. Because you don't know how it works. And I discovered after so many years how the beauty industry worked. 
mm. and who they were talking to and how incorrect a lot of the information was and segregated and racist that it was subconsciously. It's a, you know, it's, it's beauty. It's What's simple. so trippy though, is that the, like you said, the space that you had, once you came into the space of like, okay, I want to help women understand their hair. Mm-hmm. And it just ended up that the majority of the women that were coming to you were the most underserved. Right. Well, after I wrote my book, Hair Rules, mm-hmm. because my clientele was 95, 98% white prior to writing the book, what? Hair Rules. What? And then Hair Rules changed. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I was discovering some things because I did all the black models, supermodels in the late 90s. Like Tamiko Frazier, who wrote the foreword to the book. She mm-hmm. was Mar- Maybelline's first African-American spokesmodel with a multi-million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. All her hair fell out after the she signed the contract from the weave. Oh, my God. Because, you know, they, she would get touch-ups while the weave was in the hair. Uh-huh. And keep the weave in for, like, three months at a time because that was the thing. And nobody taking a weave out in, like, a month. I distinctly remember Mashonda when she was with Swiss. I distinctly remember her when she was with Swiss and she was performing because she was pursuing a recording career. And she was like, yeah, I remember she was, we were supposed to get up and she was like, oh, I have to go get my weave done because I'm going on tour for three months and I'm not trying to do my hair. And I remember, and I didn't have, I didn't have experience with weave. And I just remember saying to myself, like, I didn't even know you could do that. But that's not healthy. Is it? Mm-mm. Three months is an excessive amount of time for your hair to be roped up into a one situation. That is the best way. I'm, and that's I couldn't <laughs> have heard it any better way because I tell this story to my clients every day. <laughs> I love that. I gotta hear. Oh, I can't wait. Yes, wrapped up into a whole thing for like three months. It's like, like can we stop also, normalizing you're, you're dirty fo- hair? But you also have like hair follicles yeah. that your hair I mean, goes out of. It's they hygiene. Need to breathe. It's hygiene. Are y'all listening? So this scalp here. This skin here is the same skin that's here. <laughs> it's the same skin. He's patting his armpits. I don't care how <laughs> much you scrub a dub loofah in the shower with all the soap you want every single day or twice a day. This the scalp is skin too. And mm. the hair usually is the most driest thing on your body, but it won't get wet or conditioned. So think about that. I mean, you know, right? that was where the most underserved textures and education was needed. Because I just came from a place where, like, I watched my cousins, who I adored, get their hair done. And they were fine. I was like, they were so beautiful. They were teenagers. It was the 70s. I was like five or six. And it was four of them. And or or my cousin Sissy, and just to watch them do their hair, and like they got their hair pressed occasionally, then they wore afros, mm-hmm. and they you know wore halter tops and sh- jean shorts, and ate a peach with a little salt on it, and <laughs> ate around the thing, and watched stories <laughs> and stuff, and I was just like, <laughs> I was followed them everywhere. But, you know, watching women. So I've been watching women in their whole beauty regimen forever. So I was like, there's no reason why any Black woman should be having problems with her hair. That's awful. Yeah. Because that's not what I experienced growing up. Right. And it's, you know, some of my, one of my cousins, she relaxed her hair till she stopped relaxing it finally because it did so much damage to her scalp. It's chemical. I'm not, and I'm not saying her name because that's my sister's. Um, but... You know, it's like... Did you like, tell her to stop? No, she knew to stop. <laughs> Don't say nothing to me when we get home, please. <laughs> but she's on a trip right now, so... So where do you then go after you write hair rules? Oh, okay. Your clientele shifts. Yeah. And, you know, you become somewhat of a guru. And I was, I was troubleshooting. So as that shift was happening, that's where I really found... I knew my purpose was to wake up every day and to be, and it was one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And like, that's perfect doing hair, right? But I really found my purpose when it was just like, I would listen to these stories. And I knew that it was important for women who were coming to me to listen to their story. Because I learned a lot and I learned how to communicate by listening to someone's story about their hair, their hair journey. And so it helped me to form a certain unique type of consultation, which took women back to their first relaxer and or their first experience with their hair. And so I just learned a lot. 
and I got a wealth of information and they left with a wealth of information and that's what they came to me for. So. But what part of the story are we leaving out? Huh? Because you've had a life. You've had a journey. And I feel like we're leaving things out. Oh, definitely. I mean, consumer packaged goods, the beauty space, you know, when you're when you're a pioneer and you're creating a category based off of texture, mm-hmm. not the archaic ethnic specific approach to, the you know. The Pantene Pro V. <laughs> yeah, you you shop down this aisle and you shop down that aisle. Like, well, that's like, you know, you go drink out of this water fountain and you drink out of that water fountain. Ooh. Right? I mean, we used to have old dusty random shelf in some random drugstore. You ain't never lie, bro. And then our, you know, and all and all they did was repark, repackage and remarket her stuff and put it in our aisle and said it was for naturally or dry hair, relaxed hair, color-treated hair. It's the same shit in a different bottle. And so why launch a line of products where there wasn't education behind it? The book, right? The mm-hmm. book, the products, because the products were never thought of when I wrote the book. So through all of that, when you start a business, when you're an entrepreneur, through the ups and downs, nobody knows unless you tell them, it's rough. It's really rough. I remember when I found out that, um, I think it's Miko from um, Miss Jessie's. Had unalived herself. Took her her life. Um, My mom took her life too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I identified with it. I identified with her pain. I don't know what her pain was, but at the time I was going through hair rules, a rough, tumultuous time with hair rules. And it was really inspiring to be Black-owned. Yeah. You know, because our angel investor, who is Black, he's Greek, but I'm sorry. (laughs) His wife, my BFF, she's a happy. So together we was a Black person. (laughs) The math was mathing. the math was mathing, and I was so proud. Like, I was, but I was like, oh, we are also on for the, all the taxes owed. And, you know, it's like there were liens being slipped under the door. And, the, you know, $30,000 due by Monday. <laughs> I was like, whoa! <laughs> and we paid all of it. We paid all of it. We paid all of our taxes to the tune of maybe $200,000 worth of back taxes. Re kind of calibrated. No, but I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> uh, you, you ain't got to ever worry about me owing you nobody money because I don't owe nobody no money. Okay. Not for a minute. And, you know, it was a rough time. And I had a few partners. I now have my partners or my family. What was that transition like? Deciding to say, you know what, we're going to keep it in the family. It was easy because my family would do anything for me. Wow. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody can say that. No, I know. I can't I'm say blessed. that. I'm blessed. I can't say that. My mama, yes. My aunt, I can maybe. send a text and say, please help. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes, and I'm like, no, but whoa. But my family's like that. <laughs> All they are. That's a beautiful thing. They don't judge me, you know. And I've never had a problem. I've never had many problems, right? And I developed an addiction to pain pills. To make me smile. Who did you feel like you needed to smile for? Me? Not nobody else. But you just wanted to... <laughs> yeah. I just okay. wanted to not be stressed and worried and down and like stressed, yo. What was stressing you out? Oh my God. Like, so when your business has several near-death experiences and you're the only one that knows because the public doesn't know. Right. You don't know if it's going to end or not. And, you know, the product is called Hair Rules. And I wrote a book called yeah, Hair Rules. Yeah, it's yours. And it's by Anthony Dickey. Yeah. So even, you know, it probably would have made sense when Peter, my original and only angel investor, God bless his soul, for believing in me. He was very generous with my equity. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a beautiful deal. And, you know, it was family. But, you know, it's just a lot of, a lot of, I don't know, the patients in ICU. And so I've gone through an iteration of partners and, but, you know, the person who on the low, low nodes is the one that only suffered the losses were me in terms of like emotionally, like, okay, the patients, there's no, there's no pulse. We're like, we're done. The jolt. Yeah, we're done. Beep. And then you're not. 
Is there a sense of relief, though, for a second when it's done? When you feel like it's done? Or is it a sense of failure? Failure. Okay. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I've always thought of Black media as a place where we are represented and also protected. As a place where we are uplifted and empowered. And I know that that is sometimes more shown in potential than in actuality, but on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths, we get to see it in real time. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and bliggity Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. There's been certain times where I feel like I'm I'm like something's not going to work and there's yeah. a there's a I remember when I was getting kicked out of the the acting program at SUNY Purchase and I was like on the ground like crying like uh-huh. despair you know <laughs> and I was like what am I going to do what am I going to do and there was a little person in the back of my head that was like you ain't want to do this shit no way <laughs> I was just going to say, that's a bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Because you knew that shit wasn't that important. In the back loop. That's voice. different from now, right? You, you didn't want to do this shit. Right, no right. So the other thing is that the older you get, the stakes are higher. Facts. Facts. So I'm like, you know, I'm 58 now. I was 40-something when this shit started. Really? I yeah. think. Well, What's the math? Do the math for me. Is it tw- how many years? It's like 15. No, 2008. If it's 15, then, that, then you well, were... it's 20 years I wrote the book, but that's not a part... That, that I can't say that that was... Well, 58 issue. minus 15 is 43. Isn't it? Right. So <laughs> Y'all know I don't do math. Quit. Give me an analogy. You want what a metaphor? Um, I can do a haiku. What was 2007? When was 2007? How many years ago was that? 2007. I'll subtract that from my age. Do the math, y'all. Please help me. Do the math, (laughs) y'all, and get back to me. But that's not that important as much. Oh, yeah. And then you reach, then your body ages. 16 years. Yeah. What is? 2007 was 16 years ago. Damn. That's about to be 22. Yeah. You know, time... It just you like, can't get time back. Like we just realized it's been 11 years that we've known each other. Like that's an ex- like you've seen me through like phases of life. Mm. So when you're talking about this for you, yeah. You said that the pain medication became something that you felt like you needed in order to not feel like weighed down by the constant struggle of this hair journey. Yeah. So with, how did you get over that bridge? What do you mean, how did I get over the bridge? Are you still addicted to painkillers? No, absolutely not. I discovered through having, I had a severe case of insomnia last April. And I discovered probably a week after the previous week, probably having, I mean, 72 hours of not being able to sleep um, and going to the doctor and like, you know, that I was like, it's those fucking pills. You feel like that's what it was? Oh, I'm sure it was because... They were preventing me from dealing with normal, stressful situations. I, being a business owner, I was also the guy, even before that, I was always the guy who could put out a fire. 
the problem solver. I was a problem fixer. solver because I love you people so much. What? Oh, you just have to get down with people so they feel like they're being heard. Yeah. And I loved doing that, right? At the worst of times, when people's, you know, spiraling mm-hmm. out of control and coming unhinged. I was like, what happened? Oh, we got to fix that for you right now. I was that guy. Right. And I started to see that diminish and I couldn't do it. And I would cringe and have a little bit of anxiety under just a normal stressful situation. So I was like, mm, this is not going to go well. And one pill a week turned into one pill a day. Large doses. Not to be confused. <laughs> Small doses. Small doses <laughs> turned into large dosage. Not the kind that like I be hearing people saying, because my system is weak, because I don't, I can't take much of anything, right? <laughs> and that's a good, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Now, do you have an addictive personality? Uh yes, cigarettes. Oh. And so I've stopped, I stopped, I smoked for about 30 years and I stopped for about 10, and then I went back. And I go back like every who goes back? That shit is nasty. So it's awful (laughs) because I don't. It smells nasty. It tastes nasty. It gives you headaches and shit. And I have no tolerance for pain to begin with. And I'm that brother who needs nine hours and a nap. So not sleeping for me has been traumatic. But also age and hormone levels because guys have hormones. Guys have hormone stuff too. Y'all just don't know it or you'll talk about it or don't know enough about your bodies the way I have been forced um, to learn. Forced to learn through women to sit down and tell me all this stuff. <laughs> I've heard it all. But so have you, pay you attention. tried have you tried like holistic approaches? Yes, you- I'm a holistic. I was raised by a bunch of after leaving home, I was lucky enough to, in San Francisco to have been raised by a bunch of acid-taking, holistic, harmonic convergence, vegetarian queens who taught me about health and eating right. And, um, you know. Do you feel like your brain is racing when you're trying to go to sleep? No. So it's literally just your body is not It's just it's the, the mechanism to go to sleep doesn't turn on. Fascinating. Also terrible. Awful. The mechanism to go to sleep doesn't turn on. And you're waiting for it to turn on and it won't. Oh, Dickie. Yeah. So I've discovered this last year through practice, mental and physical wellness, for me, couldn't be seasonal anymore. And I had to I had to live a life of wellness and discover and understand. I've discovered like how CBD works and CBN mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of melatonin, but it's still hit or miss. You see how... Hey, I'd be stressing us the fuck out. Yeah, (laughs) right? Like, literally, you're working within the hair industry has, like, stripped you of being able to sleep well at night. That is just... I I don't think... Hair. Well, yeah, I think it's more than hair. For me, it's more than hair. It's business. It's business. Working within the hair industry. Like, working within this industry. I think because, ultimately, when I envisioned talking to you again about this, it was like... This space that you, like, have created has become so huge now. This textured hair conversation is no longer just individuals in a chat room sharing their experience, right? Like, I mean, it's a booming— It's a billion, trillion-dollar industry. Yes. And And hair rules, I don't feel like, gets enough— Attention, like hair rules are the products that I use. Well, the good news about that is that there is a wealth of consumers out there waiting to use hair rules that don't know about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I have to see that. I was excited about that because, you know, it's when we first started, like we were in Ulta, Walgreens, Target, Beauty Brands, Ricky's, right? We yeah. were in all those places. Yes, you were. Yeah, and I then we came out. The decision when the strategy became not an affordable strategy, when we took the brand over, we were like, quickly come out of masks because that is not an affordable strategy. Oh. And we went back to a smaller kind of e-commerce based approach, which is an affordable approach, right? Okay. Um, because, you know, the worst thing that happens if your brand is great is that it sells and you got to come up with more money to make more products. People don't get that part. Right. Like you can make something that people really love, but if you don't have the capital to produce the goods <laughs> that people love, you can't make any money. So but you might choose the wrong strategy. It, doesn't selling it, doesn't selling a large quantity of it create the capital to be able to produce more? No. 
Not necessarily because you got to wait for a check. And those big box retailers aren't serving up checks every month just like that. Mm. Right. And you also have to put advertising and marketing dollars into that strategy that you wouldn't normally have to put in because that's the strategy you chose. And so we ushered in the whole category of, well, my least favorite term, multicultural category in Target. And yeah. The multicultural category in Target. One of my least favorite terms. It's such an empty term. It's like no call what does to that act. even It's mean? like no call to action. <laughs> the multicultural category. Right. I mean, I do feel like there's a new kind of excitement about hair and there's like still new styles being created. I mean, I love seeing like Halle Bailey as the Little Mermaid. Yeah. But she's got like goddess locks and, you know, I, I saw- think you're happy about what was achieved through the natural hair movement influencing everybody else to love themselves. Because at the end of the day, it's about personal style, right? Right. And that you are okay the way you are and put it all on shit and change it up however you want to do it without judgment. But please don't have tore up hair. Can you just real quick give people a little tip on what you feel like is the biggest myth about Black women's hair that we as Black women subscribe to? Oh, that... Water dries your hair out. Now, just think about that. Or that your hair might not grow. Or that your hair doesn't grow as quickly as any white woman with hair down to the back of her knees. Well, why isn't our hair growing as fast? Because I, like I, no. I feel like white girls' hair is just constantly growing. They're constantly getting it cut. Like, it's always like, my hair is so, it's growing. It's like, it has. I have to go to Fantastic Sam's. Because you're still bringing over those same ideals about hair care that wasn't for your hair texture. There were all regiments that were specific to maintaining styles that you kept for weeks and months at a time. And natural hair is naturally drier. Yes. And it wants water. And water never dried anything out <laughs> or made anything dirty. Where you, do you we get that from? Because it's, really it's really the alcohol in the product that's what drying your hair out, What do water have to do with alcohol? No, I'm saying it's really the water, it's really the alcohol in the products that are being used when you're washing your hair. Alcohol that, and products are great for women with straight hair. But because, I know that, Dickie. Listen to what the guy okay. is. What I'm saying. Okay, okay. What I'm saying is that I think a lot of black women for a long time, we did not have products for our hair texture, right? We were using alcohol-based shampoos and conditioners for that white girls have to strip the grease, but we don't got that grease issue the way they do. So mm -hmm. we were, even when we would wash our hair, we would use those products and it would dry it out because it's the alcohol in those products drying it out. No, the detergents. It's the detergents. Yeah, the alcohol, what it does is it strips away oil and moisture. Right. So does detergent. Okay. Right. And detergents are generally in shampoos that bubble lather and suds. That make it look like they're working. Right. Sure. Because that's what I think. A lot of a lot of people didn't feel like these things were working unless you were getting this whole lather and the the busyness of that. And I remember you literally having to tell me like you're going to use a cream shampoo. Right. It's not going to lather. Right. But it you'll is use, effective. <laughs> but you'll use enough of it to where you feel like your it's hair. It's coated. It's coated and you have something in your hair working and using and being able to clean and detangle your hair. That's different from alcohol. Alcohol is usually what they're telling you that you've heard about alcohol being bad is that it's in styling products okay. like sprays, mousses, yes. which are great for women with flat, straight, greasy hair, because it and is that a one A B C? Yeah. Okay. Ex thank you. You be knowing <laughs> <laughs> shampoos that bubble, lather, and suds. So here's the thing: everybody's heard of sulfate free, right? Yes. Sulfates is a sudsing agent that is in dishwashing liquid. Oh. And in the beginning of the natural hair movement, when the first three no sud shampoo brands that were Devashan Nopu, When, and mm -hmm. Hair Rules. Yes. We were the first three no-sud shampoos. Okay. And sulfates were a part of a marketing term where it's just like no sulfates in the shampoos, yes. right? Because also Devashan, I think, had a low poo. Yes, and, it was and, very right? like vegan. Yeah, you know, I give just... it to them because there was education there, but it wasn't for everybody. And so... I was like, okay, well, we had a sudsing shampoo that we developed with our line, no sud shampoo, and a sudsing agency. And so sudsing agents were replaced 
with natural setting agents, sulfates, right? Mm-hmm. So every shampoo that ever existed before the natural hair movement was dishwashing liquid. Y'all. <laughs> and you know, those shampoos always made all these different claims that it did this, that, and the other. They all had sulfates in it, which are in dishwashing liquid. And all they did was replace them with natural sudsing agents. Now, if it bubbles, lathers, and suds, it's still stripping away oil. Much needed oil for textures that are naturally drier. Black women don't right. need the suds in. Your hair is not flat, straight, and greasy. It grows out of your head with volume already, mm-hmm. and it needs moisture. Mm-hmm. Yet the only time you condition it is when you strip it with something that was meant for her hair texture. Her. So if I were to leave you with two things, or any Black woman with two things, is that wash and go styling, where do you think the term came from? It came from white girls and Latin girls. You've seen your entire life outside with wet curly hair. Okay. Right? So who knew that a Black woman with kinky curly textures, their hair would benefit from water and conditioner Mm -hmm. daily, as often as you want. Okay. So gone is the notion that as a Black woman, you can't lead an active lifestyle and run and swim and get in the ocean and this, that, and the other, right? Well, that only was the case when you got a flat iron situation. Right. And like, if if you even think about crying, it's going to kink up. Right. But we're talking about rethinking. Yeah. Right? Twist outs and... And then there are... So wash and go styling, depending upon where you are within that texture spectrum, is something that should be done frequently, not infrequently. You're simply incorporating your entire hair care and styling routine into your shower routine. And say you don't want to do a wash and go style. You did a whole week's worth of wash and go style. You know, like this week, I don't feel like being bothered with my hair. I'm going to do a protective style. All a protective style is any style that doesn't require you to have to wet your hair, which can mean a blowout, a blowout in a ponytail, a twist out, a braid out, a wig, a weave. Right. But Braves. none of those but none of those styles will ever should ever be worn longer than three to four weeks. Say it one more time. None of those styles should ever be worn for longer than three to four weeks, because that's about as long as your strands and your scalp can sustain that amount of stress or neglect before we start to hear terms like no edges, hair loss, dry hair and fungus. And a lot of a lot of things like okay. so and you know and no one needs Fungus. to sit and getting their hair weaved or braided for longer than four to five hours. So for every hour you spend on your hair, you should get a week. That's within reason. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I didn't realize. People switch using, it up, girl. I was using synthetic hair, and I started breaking out and having headaches, and I thought it was peanut brittle that was causing it. Like me and Devon was literally like trying to figure it out, and then one day Devon was like, "It's the hair." And I was like, that is preposterous, Devon. It's absolutely not the hair. And then I was on Instagram Live one night and was just like chit-chatting with folks. I was like, yeah, I've been getting breakouts. You know, I think it's from eating peanut brittle because they be putting dairy in it. You know, um, my man said he think it's the hair. but <laughs> And they were like, it's the hair. Like the live was yeah. like, and people were like, it's the hair. It's the hair. They have so much mess in this synthetic hair. So that's another reason why when you're like, you know, don't have it in longer than four weeks. Mm-hmm. If you're using the synthetic stuff, like you are putting that synthetic stuff on your scalp and it's just sitting there and it's also sitting against your neck. It's sitting against your hair, your face, et cetera, for four weeks. And where does it come from? Nobody knows. You know, (laughs) where where does it come from? I saw a video where they were treating it and it was like watching them put pesticides on cabbage. Right. A mess. Where does it come from? We don't even know. Like I don't do relaxers anymore. And mind you, I did a mean relaxer. (laughs) I was hair rules is not just about natural hair, and the book was not about any of that. It was just about how to achieve all those things. But when you discover and you wake up as a professional and you realize that there is greater harm being done, particularly to Black women, with a higher rate in fibroids and uterine cancer, and that these big beauty conglomerates have enough scientists and lab techs to know what that was doing to the body and what it was, just like cigarette companies knew what nicotine was doing to people and they had to put warning signs on it. They they knew that. We know the fraud. And so I chose not to do relaxers. There's a, you know, I love keratins. I think they're the most advanced thing in hair in the last 50 years. Non-formaldehyde keratins. Well, we have some questions before we go. The people have questions for Anthony Dickey about side effects of textured hair. But y'all know how it go. 
We got to go to the Patreon. You trying to get more into this? You trying to be all down with this? Well, baby, you got to come over to the Amandaverse. Okay? Let's do that. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I've always thought of Black media as a place where we are represented and also protected. As a place where we are uplifted and empowered. And I know that that is sometimes more shown in potential than in actuality. But on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths, we get to see it in real time. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and bliggity Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. The Last Dose. Dickie, this has been dope. Do you feel, though, that you were honest? That you, because you were like, I want to share. Do you feel like you did that? Yeah. I mean, to the best of my ability, because, you know, a lot of these stories, they can go on forever. (laughs) All right. They can. They can. And we don't have a lot of time. Well, I have one last question for you. How do you feel about this new movement where braiders and, you know, stylists want you to show up with your hair already washed? Oh. Um, Well, that's terrible. (laughs) But what I will say is that if you haven't washed your hair in four to six weeks, please don't come to me and have me wash it. I mean, that's, Because one, that's neglect. And if your hair is not naturally straight, then it's probably going to be locked up by the time you get to me. And you want to normalize me doing hair that's locked up. And that wasn't the appointment. It wasn't a detangling service, which is what you will get charged if not turned away. Now y'all know. But But that should all be in their policies and procedures. And yeah, but you should, you know, as as a rule of thumb, you should be able to go a hairdresser and have full-on hair care. It's an experience. And an experience. It should be an experience, an educational experience. Yes. And a bit of a spa moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I am a big fan of Hair Rules products, and I can... I'm a big fan of you, small doses... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean, the Afro on small doses. Yeah. Th- well, this color is from you. <laughs> this blonde was from you back when I was blonde. And I will say that by going to Hair Rules and getting my hair colored at Hair Rules, but also getting it cared for at Hair Rules, it allowed my hair to sustain. And people yes. would always tell me, wow, for being so blonde, your hair is really healthy. Well, even when you were doing a lot of insecure and a lot of hairdos, yes, you were hypersensitive about your hair. And your industry is a really difficult industry to navigate through a bunch of hairdressers who may or may not know anything about your hair texture. And so I 
part of what I do is help women to not only rediscover their hair texture, but come up with language yes. and a scenario on yes. how to deal with hairdressers. And how if to they run into because I'm not always there. Yeah. And the biggest request that I get is like, can you recommend? I was like, no, I can't, but I can tell you how to walk into a salon and what yeah. you should look for. That being said, we're doing this interview because I need to get my hair <laughs> styled <laughs> for my next And special. who doesn't love sunny L.A. <laughs> that decided to look like Detroit? Anthony Dickey came to the West Coast for more. <laughs> it definitely does look like Detroit. It though. does. It's a mess. Except Why? in your backyard. It does not. Like paradise. Nice. Thank you. I love you.